0: Father, we thank you that you have made us. That you created this world and you created us and placed us in it. And that when you made us, you didn't make us just like all the other animals or creations in your creation. But you made us differently. You made us in your image. And because of that, we're distinct we can represent you in the world, we can have a relationship with you, and we can enjoy things like humor and laugh at funny pictures of these big theological concepts that tell us more about who you are, and who we are, and what you are doing in us, and through us, and, and to us. And so we pray today that as we Uh, come together to learn more about you and to learn more about your word, that we would understand more about what it means that we are sanctified in Christ and about what it means that we are being sanctified in Christ. God, we pray that uh, we wouldn't just dismiss a big theological word and not pay attention and that we wouldn't think that we already know what this means, but that instead we would think again about this reality of the gospel that is ours in Christ. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice on our behalf, that because you lived a perfect life, because you died an obedient death to your father and paid our penalty we can be free. We can know grace and love and mercy. And because of that, we can be here and study your word this morning. Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen. So sanctification is like a guy falling up an escalator. He does one thing, pretty much, in that little uh, gif that Short video. He takes a step, he gets on the escalator, and then he falls down. And the escalator keeps doing what the escalator does. It takes him upstairs. And the only thing he can do is kind of hang on and try not to end all the way back at the beginning. And what we're going to see today, what I want to show us this morning through God's word is that that's almost exactly what happens to us in sanctification, right? We trust in Christ. Uh, As we've seen, we become justified. We become made right, made more than right, made innocent in God's eyes and righteous because of who Jesus is and what he's done. His work counts for us in justification. Then in adoption, he welcomes us into his family with him. And then uh, through his work of a uh, regeneration, he makes us new. He changes who we are so that we're fundamentally different than we were before. Sanctification is what kind of comes after that and carries that to its completion. And uh, it's where God drags us up the stairs. It's where he pulls us and draws us and moves us by his grace and by his spirit into growth in Christ. Uh, so, before we read the passage, I want to just define what sanctification is. I'm going to give you two different definitions. The first one is the process in which God has made us holy. He has made us holy in Christ and is continuing to make us holy by His grace and our grace-empowered effort. It's the first definition. The second one's the same thing, just in different words, more simple words. It's the process of actually becoming who we already are in Christ by grace and our grace-empowered effort. So last week, we talked about how he has made us new. He has changed completely who we were before his work on our behalf, before we trusted in Christ and he came into us and he made us new. Sanctification is where his making us new makes us new where it's worked out in our lives in front of those that are around us. And there's three parts of these statements that we need to see today in Scripture. The first one is the most important, and that is that sanctification is by God's grace. So often when we talk about our growth, our pursuit of holiness, our pursuit of obedience, we uh, you know, talk all about the gospel, it's by grace, he does all these things for us, and then we make this shift... And start talking all about what we do and what we must do and what we need to do. And it becomes all about us and our obedience. It's almost as if we think, oh, well, I was, I was saved by grace before, but now I need to be saved by works. I need to do all these things, and it's my doing of these things that makes me holy, makes me right, makes me justified in him. And that's not the way it works. Sanctification is by grace just as much as everything else about the gospel is by by grace. The second thing we need to see is that it's a process that begins at conversion, right? Sanctification is a growth process. It's got a beginning, a definite beginning, and it's got an ending. And right now, we're in that middle. If you're a believer, you're in this process. You're growing. And what we'll see is that in our lives, there's kind of this up and down growth. We'll grow will sin. We'll grow, we'll sin. We'll kind of go back and forth as we're growing, but the general trend of our lives should be an upward trajectory. And with that, what we need to see in God's word is that at the beginning of that, there is a significant change that takes place because of uh, us being made new like we talked about last week. It's not a zero to 100 percentage. We start really high up that chart. The third thing that we need to see is that our grace-empowered effort plays a role. It's something that we do. Even though we're not saved by works, it doesn't mean that we don't work. It doesn't mean that pursuing holiness is easy or just happens automatically by us just sitting in a chair at home. Sanctification happens by our effort, and our effort is empowered by grace. So it's still us being saved by grace, but our grace Grace in us is producing our effort, our obedience. And these are things that we want to see in these passages. So where do we see this stuff in Scripture? That's kind of in the pattern for this series. We've talked about what it is, and then we go to God's Word to see these things fleshed out. Today, we're going to go to two passages. The first one is Titus 2. Uh, We're going to read 11, verses 11 through 14. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and go there. And then we're going to come back to Colossians three. Uh, which we talked about last week. So Titus 2, we're going to read verses 11 through 14. So Paul, in this passage, just to let you know where we're picking up, he's just talked to Titus about how he's supposed to teach sound doctrine, and then he walks through these categories of how he's to do this for all these different people, how they're supposed to live because of their belief. And just in case Titus misses that, Paul explains it very clearly in these verses. He begins them with four. Do all of these things because of this reason, and this reason is the gospel. He says, Four, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealots for good works. This is one of my favorite passages uh, in which Paul presents the gospel and because when he does it here, he does it in such a way that I think it's, it's really difficult for us to limit the gospel to something small. To him, the idea of the gospel is huge. It doesn't just affect who we were. It affects who we are right now. It affects who we will be. It's, it's an active gospel that's working in us when he talks about it here. He says, the grace of God has appeared. What do you think he means by that? If you think, if you're Titus, Paul's writing to you and he says, the grace of God has appeared. What comes to your mind? Should be the Sunday school answer, Jesus. Right? And if we don't think that's the case, he says... It again in verse 13, he talks about the appearing of Jesus Christ. Then it's in the future. But here he's saying the grace of God has appeared. Jesus has come. He is on the scene. He is present. And because of that, he has brought the grace of God with him. And the grace of God does two things. The first thing it does is it brings salvation for all people. Because Jesus has come, because he lived a perfect life, because he died in obedience to his Father, because he was raised from the dead, God's grace is available to all people. He's brought salvation to everyone. But are all saved? No, right? This doesn't mean that we're universalists and we think, well, Jesus has come, so everyone is a Christian. If that's the case, then we should just go home because this is a waste of time. We don't need to do anything, we don't need to tell anyone, it doesn't even matter. That's not what we think, right? Universalism is heresy, it's a false gospel. Instead, what Paul is talking about here is that salvation has been brought to all. No longer is it like it was in the Old Testament where salvation was just for the Jews. The doors have been opened for everyone, which is great for us because that's who we are. We're the nation's. Because Jesus has come, because the grace of God has come on the scene, salvation is made available for, for all kinds of people, and it still is. Right? Christianity isn't just an American thing. It's not just a Western thing. It's not just a white people thing. The gospel is good news for all people, regardless of who you are, regardless of where you're born, regardless of how you talk, regardless of how you dress, regardless of whether or not you live in a country that our country likes. The gospel should go forth everywhere and we should take it there. The second thing His grace does is it trains us. In verse 12, it trains us to do two things. The first thing is to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. His grace working in us teaches us to say no to sin. And it trains us to live self controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. To say yes to living the kind of life that God calls us to, to walk in obedience. It it trains us, it teaches us, it works in us so that that is what happens. And this is, this is sanctification that he's talking about here. He's not using that word. But when we say no to sin, when we kill sin, when we put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit, we're growing in Christ. When we live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, we're growing in Christ. And these things, he says, they happen because the grace of God has appeared. And it's trained us to do these things. Sanctification is a work of grace. It's a benefit of the gospel to us. Just in case we don't think this is true, Paul says it again. He says this, this, this training happens while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then he's going to tell us who this Jesus is. This is the one, verse 14, who gave himself for us, to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Jesus gave himself for us and Paul says there's two purposes of that. His death on our behalf served two purposes. The first one is to redeem us from all lawlessness. We've been redeemed. We've been set free from the power of our sin and the penalty of our sin and death and Satan. We are free. And He gave himself to purify, to cleanse, to wash, to sanctify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. One of the reasons why Jesus died on the cross was so that we would be sanctified. It wasn't just so that we could be freed from our past. It's so that we could live a different life in the present by his grace, our growth in Christ, our sanctification is a result of grace. And this grace in us produces good works. Second thing that we need to see about sanctification. Titus teaches us that it is by grace. It begins and ends with grace. Colossians is going to show us these two other things. that we're already a lot further along than we think, and uh, that our effort plays a role. So turn to Colossians 3. We read this passage last week. Uh, We're going to read it again today, even though it's long, because it's good for us to read the Bible. It's good for us to hear the Bible. And read Colossians 3, verses 1 through 17, which is almost the whole chapter. or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So, in Titus, we saw that the Christian life it begins and it ends with grace. That's how this growth process happens. Here, we're going to see uh, how it begins in us at conversion and how it's uh, dependent or makes use of our grace empowered efforts. First, before we talk about that, we need to recognize what our tendencies are when we get to a passage like this, right? We hear just this, these lists of virtues when Paul talks about them, these lists of, you know, bad things, anger, wrath, malice, obscene talk, sexual immorality, good things, kindness, love, mercy, forgiveness. And we immediately start rating ourselves. On a scale of one to five, how merciful am I? On a scale of one to five, how much obscene talk comes out of my mouth? And then we take that rating and we think, okay, I need to work on these areas. These areas, I'm good. These areas, I need to work. These areas, I'm I'm, I'm good. I need to grow in this. I need to grow in that. I need to say no to this. I need to say no to that. But the problem is, is that if we focus simply on these things as commands, we completely miss the point of what Paul is telling us. The major focus here isn't him telling us to do something. It's him telling us who we are. He's not telling us to grow in sanctification. He is, but he does that by telling us about our our sanctified identity. The fact that we are different already. Look again at verses 5 through 10. This is where he talks about all the bad things. Put these to death, therefore. Therefore is connected back to what he said about what Christ has done and who he is. But let's just ignore that for now because we we need uh, what comes later. It says, put to death these things, and then he gives a bad list of things. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you two once walked when you were living in them. The conclusion is that we're no longer living in these things. And now we must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk is the second list of bad things. Do not lie. And then look at the reason he gives in verse 9 for why we shouldn't lie. Here's the command, don't lie. Why? Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Don't do all of these bad things because you have already, it's already happened, you have put off the old self and put on the new self. He's not telling us to do that. He's saying it has been done to you already. And because of that, don't do these things. That's huge. That's really important for us to get. He's not saying put off and put on. He's saying that transaction has already happened. We are those who have put on the new self. He says the same thing in Ephesians 4. I'll read it to you. He says, But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and to put on the new self, Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Just like in Colossians, Paul isn't telling them to do that. He's saying, that's how you learned Christ. When you learned Christ, you did that. Because of that, he's going to give them a whole host of things to do in Ephesians 4 through 6. Because this is who you are, live this way. Because you have this sanctified identity, have sanctified action why does that matter or why should it matter or why will it matter because it shows how our typical understanding of sanctification or growth in Christ is either deficient or just flat out wrong right we normally picture it as if you know we get converted and we're 0% holy and the end we'll be 100% holy. And throughout our lives, there's this growth. Like, I'll make it to 5%, then I'll get knocked down to 3%, then I'll make it to 8%, then I'll get knocked down to 7%, then I'll make it to 15%, then I'll get knocked down to 12%. And that happens forever. The problem is, that's not how the Bible talks about it. That's not how the Bible talks about us. Really, it's more like if... I was working in my backyard, and I get bit by a poisonous snake. And the poison is coursing through my veins, and I'm swelling, and I'm sick. And my wife takes me to the hospital, and they say, what happened? She says, he was bit by a snake. This was the kind of snake. And they say, okay, we've got the antidote. They go. They get the antidote. They come into my hospital room. They stick it in my arm, and they push that plunger down. At that moment, I am healed. But that antidote still needs to work its way through my system. The way that's like sanctification is because that moment where I go from not having the antidote to having the antidote is a very significant jump. That's way more than 0 to 3%. I go from 0% healed to 100% healed. And people around me are just waiting to see the effects of that in the same way when god makes us new he makes us holy that's why the new testament talks about it that way in colossians 1 and philippians 1 and ephesians 1 i think we have a slide that's got all three of these on the same thing paul calls the people he's writing to saints That's who they are. That's their identity. That's their identity in Christ. They are holy ones. Now, it would be extremely weird for us to call each other saints. And that's why we don't. But theologically, if we're in Christ, if we've trusted in him, that's who we are. He even uses sanctified in a couple places. In Corinthians, he writes to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. Not those who are being sanctified, not those who will be sanctified, those who are sanctified. And six, he says the same thing. And such were some of you when you lived your old kind of life. You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord. That's who we are. That's what our identity is in Christ. And that matters because that's a significant difference from how we normally think about it. What we see in these passages is that we need a bigger understanding of sanctification. There is a significant work in us that's done when we are made new. We go from being unholy and unclean and unsanctified to being clean and holy and sanctified. That happens to us. And yet, it's a process. Sanctification still needs to happen, right? Because if you ask anyone, or you've known someone who, you know, they went from being kind of a crazy, partying, you know, drug addict, non Christian to being a Christian, or even someone who was just a normal, selfish, sinful person and they move from being unholy to holy in Christ, do we see perfect, pure holiness in their life? No, right? For people that have been Christians for a long time, we don't see that. If you would ask my wife if I am a saint, she would say no, because I'm not. Because I am not perfectly sanctified, even though that's who I am in Christ, even though that's how Scripture talks about me sometimes. That's not how I live, and that's not how any of us will live before he returns. Like We still need that process to happen, and it happens by his grace and by our effort in pursuing it. The old self has been put off, and the new self has been put on. And yet, Paul still tells us to put to death the old self and to live like the new self. And Scripture also says, so it says, like, we have been sanctified. It says, be sanctified, and it talks about when we will be. It talks about how this work that was begun in a huge way at conversion and is ongoing now in us, that one day it's going to be finished. Paul says that he's confident that he who began a good work in us will carry it to completion. To use that snake illustration again, that's like us getting taken to a place where there are no snakes. I've been healed. The antidote has had its effect, but I can still get bit again. And I'll need that shot again, although theologically we don't need the shot again because once we've got it, we've got it. But one day we'll be taken to a world in which no snakes. And that's also a theologically accurate statement because the serpent was cursed. Sin will have no effect on us. We will become perfectly holy in Christ. Our reality will be our identity. and we won't ever fall again. Not because of us, obviously, but because of his grace. So how does our effort tie into this passage, right, other than just doing what he says? I think one helpful thing for us to recognize is how Paul talks about these bad things and good things. In the first list, he says, uh, he gives these kind of four or five sexual sins, Sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire. And then he talks about covetousness or greed. He talks about anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, lying. But the important thing we need to see is in verse 5. He gives this list and then he says, Which is idolatry or which are idolatry? And whether he's talking specifically about greed or whether he's talking about the whole list, it really doesn't matter because at its basic level, all sin is idolatry. What it is, is it's us saying what I want to do or what I think about this or what I desire, what my affections are, are more important to me than what he wants or he desires or he says. I want to build my own name for myself and my own kingdom. And I want to worship myself and other people to worship me instead of God. It's us doing what the creator or the creation desires instead of what the creator desires. All sin is idolatry. Look at the good list. It says, Put on, then, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, be thankful, let the word dwell in you, teach and admonish one another, sing with thankfulness, and then look at verse 17, he caps off the list, and whatever you do, whichever of these things you do, however you do them, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. He ends all of this with worship. So on the one side, we've got all these bad things which are idolatry, and on the other side, we've got these good things which are done in such a way, should be done in such a way that are worshipful to God. So when we think about sanctification, when we think about how to you know, take these theological concepts and work them out by his grace and by our grace empowered effort. We should recognize that the choice is actually pretty simple. We don't have to memorize all these lists because they're not exhaustive anyway, right? Paul doesn't say don't murder here. It doesn't mean that it's okay. He's given us examples. And so when we want to think, when we want to know, is this thing in my life, is it sanctifying? Ask yourself, does this cause me to worship God? Does it cause those around me to worship God? If the answer is no, then that's not going to be sanctifying for you. That's not going to be sanctifying for them. Everything that we do should cause us to give thanks to God, should lead to worship, both for ourselves and for those around us. And when we do these other things, We promote idolatry, either of ourself or someone else, or you know, promoting someone to worship themselves. And even though this is done by grace, it's something that we must choose. Something that we have to take action on. Sanctification isn't a passive thing that's done to us like every other aspect of conversion. It's something that we do by his grace. And so the response of us to his word, to who he is and what he's done for us, to how he's made us new, is to live like he's made us new. It's to choose to walk in obedience. Because we can. Right, Sin has been put away. The old self has been put on. We're not enslaved to it anymore. Because of that, we can decide... I want to live like who I am. And when we don't, we need to recognize that it's because we don't. It's not because some outside force has overtaken us. It's not because of someone else. right? You don't sin because of your spouse or your friends or the other people on the road. You sin because your heart is wicked. Because you still need God's holiness to be worked out in your life. So don't blame it on other people. Blame it on your choice. Because that's why you did it. And so, as we close, I think a huge question that we need to ask when we think about sanctification is, what if we don't want to do it? Right? His grace has done this work in us. It's made us new. Walking in obedience should be one of the simplest choices we have to make. And yet, I think we would all admit that we don't always make that choice. We choose to pick back up that old self and put it on. And so I think the question that we should ask is, why do we do that? Why don't we desire to walk in obedience? And I think that that question is really different depending on two things. The first one is if it's a lifestyle or a random thing. If your life, the general tw- trend, isn't in upward trajectory of sanctification, if you're not consistently and regularly making that choice to walk in obedience, then you need to ask yourself why. And I think the answer in most of those cases is going to be because you are not new. You're not walking in obedience in a consistent growth in holiness way because you're not holy you haven't been made new the old self hasn't been put off it's still on you and you can't get it off and so if that's if that's your life i would encourage you to believe the gospel and to recognize that until you do you are helpless Effort doesn't make us holy. Grace-empowered effort makes us holy. And the only way we get that grace is from the gospel. And so if that's your life, if your life is not one of growing in holiness and growing in sanctification, then it might be because you're dead. If, on the other hand, it's a trend or a season, uh, I think the answer is that we just need to remember the gospel. I know I say that all the time. That's because it's true. All right, gospel promises are true for believers. They always have been, they always are, and they always will be. And so if you're struggling to, to sh- throw off your sin and to walk in obedience, remember who he is and what he's done for you. And then do it anyway. Right? There's that question all the time, like, well, should I read my Bible if I don't want to read my Bible? Because then I'm just reading it because I think I should. And is that a good thing or is that not a good thing? Just do it. <laughs> like it's, it's better for you to do it, even if you do it with, you know, like I'm internally conflicted about reading my Bible." I don't care whether you're internally conflicted about being sanctified or not. You probably are, because you're still not perfectly holy. So just quit whining and do it. And I'm telling that to myself too, because I whine about it all the time. Well, I just want to live the way I want to live. Well, shut up, Dan. Believe the gospel. Obedience leads to growth. I think the important thing for us to remember is even in those moments where we're choosing to do the thing that we don't want to do, that's still grace, right? The Bible says we were dead. So any life in us, any life is from him. Any effort towards holiness is a result of grace because we don't choose holiness. We need God to supply us with more knowledge and more understanding and more appreciation of who he is and what he's done for us so that it can continue to work out in us. That's what sanctification is. It's not some process where we just work to earn our way. It's a process that has already begun in a hugely significant way because he has made us holy. And we just see that happen in our lives as we walk in obedience to him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that the promises in your word are true. And that the gospel never stops being good news. I pray that you would help us by your spirit to know whether or not the old self has really been put off of us. And whether the new self has been put on. Pray that you would make that clear. If there's any of us here today who need to place our faith in Christ, that you would move in us and give us the faith we lack. And I pray that for those of us uh, who you've already began your sanctifying work in, that you would help us to walk in obedience. To continually be renewed in your image. We would live less like who we were and more like who we are. God, I pray that we would live lives that say no to idolatry and that cause a worshipful response in ourselves and in others. Because it's evident that our growth is a result of grace and not a result of us. I pray now that as we move to celebrate the Lord's Supper that you would just continue by your Spirit to remind us of who we were and who we are in Christ. It's an In Jesus' name that we pray, amen.